0: All right, we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back in the saddle and it is the end of the year, which means it's time for our annual movie special with entertainment writer Christian Toto. This is, I believe, our fourth annual movie special, which easily makes this the longest running tradition on our show. All year long, we discuss policy, government corruptions, the machinations of the global elites, and so on. But once a year, Jim and I like to dedicate an episode to another passion of ours, watching movies and talking about the film industry itself. And we have quite a year to discuss, from massive box office bombs, to Disney and turmoil, to writers and actors' strikes... We're going to attempt to talk about all of this and more on this very special episode of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, except for last week, I am your host Donald Kendall, and joining me today, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, working remote from uh, Casa de Lakely in an undisclosed location in northern Illinois. And uh, this morning, I woke up and, and realized uh, I'm using this um, 2004 vote um, C-SPAN. I was a guest on C-SPAN. Now it's 20 years ago to talk about uh <laughs> uh well George Bush was president then and so I was thinking well this mug has made it for 20 years uh and soon it'll uh it'll be in retirement age so all right very
0: all right. nice very nice also joining us we have Christian total entertainment writer good sir I mentioned that you are uh this is the fourth year in a row <laughs> On the show, we've tried to do little annual things, uh, traditions, you know, look back type of stuff, but it's never made it past two years. You should feel so honored that this is the fourth uh, year in a row that we are doing this uh, the this special episode.
2: I am honored, though. I want I'm re- ready for number five. I want to give some sort of like a jacket, a mug. A mug. I want a mu- I want Jim's mug. That's what I.
0: Oh. <laughs> That's wow. right. On the fifth My episode. Precious- we were going to, we're going to send you that 2004 vote C-SPAN mug. That's uh that's what you have waiting for you in your fifth, uh, fifth episode. Um, uh, you've always got different stuff going on. I know that, um, you know, Hollywood in total podcast, you got your website, uh, what just right off the bat, kind of pitch everything you've got going on. We don't sure. have to wait till the end of the episode for you to do your pitches.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm putting a lot of effort into the Hollywood in total podcast It interviews a lot of comedians, people have been canceled, uh, thought makers, I guess you could say, people who just maybe uh, don't agree with the groupthink that's going on in the entertainment industry right now. Uh, And we're going video. I'll be joining you guys right now. It's just audio only, but I have worked out a studio. It is a work in progress, but it's nearly done. So that'll be coming in a few weeks. And then 2024 is the the 10-year anniversary of HollywoodandToto.com, which is scary and- we're all getting older, obviously, and I'm excited about that. And also, I just started working for, as a freelancer, uh, Blaze. So uh, oh, you'll very see nice. my stories at theblaze.com.
0: Fantastic. All right. Definitely going to look out for that. So uh, a lot of stuff to go over, as I kind of mentioned in the introduction of this episode. But before we get going, I do have a prepared statement. Um, so I just want to start off with this. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, we gather here today to remember and celebrate the life of some truly extraordinary film franchises, whether it's Indiana Jones or Star Wars or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These franchises have touched the hearts of millions around the world, leaving an indelible mark on our lives. The wonder, the action, the adventure of these movies created a warmth that will linger forever in our memories. As we bid farewell to these franchises, let us carry forward the lessons they bestowed upon us, the importance of love, empathy, the cherishing each other's precious moments. Their impact will endure in the stories we share, the values we uphold, and the love we continue to nurture in their memory. In honor of these franchises' legacy, we should find solace in knowing that their spirit will forever live on in our hearts even when they continue to churn out terrible, terrible, terrible sequels in the names of these franchises. So, Jim, I mean, obviously, that is my my dig at the idea that all of these beloved franchises that we've been, uh, you know, that have been in our lives for the past however many years seem to be all going down the tubes. And I think 2023 might be the year that that marks the end of that little tombstone for some of these franchises i mean we can get into it but when we were talking about doing this episode i mean this was kind of mostly what our thoughts were going around whether it's star wars indiana jones for sure mcu they all seem to be either on life support or you know one foot in the grave completely uh what are are your take on this before we get into it
1: well yeah i mean we do we do talk about this when we're Having lunch in the uh, kitchen at uh, Heartland headquarters or when we pop into each other's offices, but uh, uh, to kind of lighten the mood, you know, y- you talk about pop culture um, and that's why I'm, we're so glad to have Christian Toto on because he's one of the, um, well, growing actually, He's a, he was a pioneer in being able to examine and write about pop culture from a non-leftist perspective. And he's been able to watch the entertainment media world become increasingly ideological and it's really that's what hollywood is now is become even more so i mean the idea that that you know hollywood didn't lean left i mean you know look at the the movies of the 1970s um you know when new cinema was beginning and the old studio systems were starting to fall away you know leftists and hippies and all those yeah. those hippies all took took over hollywood and and tried to propagandize but at least they had a, a goal to entertain and now what we have seen with these, with these franchises in pop culture, these, these movie franchises like Indiana Jones, you know, uh, regular listeners of this podcast may think it's kind of silly that we're doing a show on this. But I, I, I really believe that pop culture is culture. Pop culture, as uh, um, Andrew Breitbart, of course, famously said, politics is downstream from culture. And American culture is defined as much by a highbrow stuff in fact, it's defined more by the so-called middlebrow and lowbrow stuff, like what Hollywood turns out, like movies, like entertainment that we used to enjoy together and see together as a community and talk about it. It was, a, it, it was something that bound us together. Uh, and now it's all divisive. I mean, the the reason, um, you know, Christian Toto's latest book is called Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. And that's exactly right. Uh, that thesis is has been proven true that Hollywood is no longer interested in entertaining. It is interested in social change. It's interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, it's all tied up into how films are financed, and studios can even get loans to make movies. It's it's tied into what movies are eligible for the Oscars. I mean, so a leftist ide- ideological bent has ruined and destroyed things that we used to enjoy together as a, as a common culture. Um, and I think it's important to talk about it. And actually, the good news, as we will get to here about in in 2023, is the death of all of these franchises. The audience did not so much kill these franchises off as the people that were put in trust of those franchises committed suicide.
0: Well, you know, Christian, I want to I want to ask you specifically about some of these, you know, box office bombs and the performance of some of these movies that pertain to these franchises. But speak to that thesis a little bit. Uh, that's you know, that's kind of core to your to your book. I mean, is is Jim overstating this, or is he kind of on point? Uh,
2: mostly on point. I don't think things are dead, but they are suffering. I think there's uh, a financial hit that's taken place, and we're seeing that with a lot of these talks at different mergers going on, like Time Warner. Uh, With uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount possibly joining forces, they're not doing it for for kicks. They're doing it because each is suffering in a certain way. And if they join forces and kind of marry their different content libraries, they may be able to get more people to subscribe to their services. But, yeah, you know, the problem is that when you focus on diversity, when you focus on messaging, when you focus on all these different elements, storytelling almost always takes a back seat. And we're seeing that in the product that comes out. And listen, there are some franchises that, that have just worn out their welcome, you know, fast X. It's done. We've seen 10 <laughs> movies, some were really enjoyable. They've all been dumb, we don't mind that. But you know, at some point that formula just wears out and it's just not, there's, there's not enough creativity to bring it back from the grave. And then you have the Indiana Jones movie where you have a, a very old movie star. You've got a story that isn't very compelling. And then you've got a, a female heroine who's really not very likable and, and is inserting herself in ways that diminish our hero, the guy that we've loved for, you know, four decades. So, you know, all these different things are coming into play, but I think what you're seeing the last year is Hollywood has been playing almost with, with fake money for a while. Mm. Now, uh, the, the bleep has hit the fan and they're, they're cutting costs. They're canceling shows that have not performed well. They are erasing content that was Uber woke and didn't draw a crowd. So I think things are getting real behind the scenes in Hollywood. I think that's why we're seeing some of the actions taking place right now.
0: Yeah, it seems very interesting because I think like it, it, when we did our like first episode, we were kind of talking about the streaming services. Mm. Uh, I think it was when like Mandalorian was first on the scene and, and we were talking about it like, you know, maybe this is streaming service, especially in in the light of COVID or the streaming services. Mm. Is that like kind of the future of all of this? And I wonder if that's kind of been reassessed in the last uh, year or so, because uh, Star Wars and the MCU specifically, Mm -hmm. it's like their lifeblood, especially Star Wars, was on these streaming services. But from the sounds of it, it doesn't seem like everyone is, you know, staying up to up to date on every one of these new Marvel shows that are coming out. And some of them you need to know to understand what's going on in some of these movies. And like Star Wars, they haven't even put out a movie uh, since the rise of Skywalker. So, you know, and and also coupled that with the idea that they knew that they were going to bleed money on these on these uh, streaming services because, Mm -hmm. you know, they just wanted a, a bigger market share. Right. So if we have to lose money for a few years to gain market share, that's fine. But it just seems like all of that is kind of fallen apart. Uh, so how, how do you think that's going to play out? Um, and, you know, anything to add to that idea?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think streaming is still the future. I think cable appears to be the past, but it's about how they can make enough money to make it a sustainable uh, landscape. I mean, I think Netflix appears to be doing well, or at least better than the other platforms. Disney plus is suffering. Uh, you know, max is suffering all these different uh, platforms just not making ends meet. And, the problem is that you've got to make new show after new show after new show and the quality has to be movie level you know when i was growing up a tv show looked like a tv show it cost a fraction of what a movie cost now they're fairly comparable so you know you can't just keep dumping money into it and then you've got subscribers who say well i'm going to sign on for uh, paramount plus for uh, a month i'll watch tulsa king and then i'm gone and maybe i'll come back in six months so you know that's not going to really sustain the audience they need to pay for all these the programming. And now we're seeing Amazon Prime, which I've been a, I've been a subscriber for quite a while. Very, I don't know when the exact date is, but very soon you're going to have ads on the platform, which they haven't had before. And you're going to have to pay, I think it's about two or $3 more to get rid of those ads. So that isn't good. You know, Will that hurt their subscriber base? Will people sign away? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, obviously Amazon has a lot of different perks to it besides the programming. But uh, yeah, they're feeling the pinch. You can't just put out garbage. You can't just keep putting out the woke stuff. They realize that there's a problem there. And uh, the le- the next few years will be fascinating. And I, I still hope that the consumer will come out on top, but I'm not 100% sure because we could be trading out the cable bill and trading in the streaming bill. Right. And if you know if Max is suddenly $30, $40, $50, and then you know, Netflix is expensive too, then it's going to be fairly comparable. We don't want to see that happen again.
0: Yeah. because All right. So, Jim, you did a bunch of number crunching. I already yeah. see your uh, little table over there, but, um, you know, because I, I think that this almost goes beyond uh, and I'll get your opinion on this, Jim, while you talk about your chart. But this almost goes beyond like some of this uh, act like accusations of something being woke. Um, I mean, Christian, Toto, you, you mentioned the Fast X movies. I mean, I, I haven't watched any of those movies since the first one. Are those accused of being woke? I'm not entirely sure that they are. No, uh, not at all. As
2: a matter of fact, they are diverse. They are entertaining, but they're not woke. They don't focus on the diversity. Right. It just so happens to have people from a lot of different ethnic backgrounds who sure. work together and they they pal around with each other and they save the day. And but they don't lecture. There's no messaging there. It's all about fun, adrenaline, and excitement. Right. So that's been the exception. I just think as a story, there's only so many times it can go go through those machinations right but cars jumping off cliffs and things like that <laughs> how, how <laughs> many, how, space
0: many and...
1: <laughs> how many movie series have 10 editions of it besides James Bond I mean and yeah, no, those it's... are a different
2: story each time right but you know it, it's, it's, a, it's a minor like, miracle they've been able to sustain it this long well, but the cracks are showing obviously
0: well, it just seems like every franchise is kind of running into this. I mean, the big three that I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Star Wars, they haven't put out a movie in a while. They're just yeah. doing streaming service stuff. Indiana Jones is is dead. Like the, the, the whole thing has been they had plans for shows and, you mm-hmm. know, continuing the story and all of that. That's all been scrapped. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is on life support after the Marvels and some of the other movies that have come out. But you mentioned the Fast and Furious movies. Transformers was one that you can pretty much count on making a a billion dollars because of international markets and all of that. That latest movie didn't do very well. So it seems like every franchise is, is kind of hitting a wall right now. And I would think that it was indicative of the entire Hollywood scene, the entire box office scene, if it weren't for a couple of movies. Uh, one of them being Avatar that made mm-hmm. almost two billion. Did it make over two billion? Something like that. A crazy figure. Two like two billion dollars. Um, Oppenheimer did really well, and then Barbie did extremely well, and mm-hmm. and Mario. I think those are like the four exceptions. Everything else underperformed. But Jim, you you started putting together a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> so why don't you run us through some of your findings here?
1: Yeah, well, when we when we wanted to invite uh, Christian on again a few weeks ago, sent out an email, you know, I just off the top of my head, just the string of absolute financial box office bombs put out by Disney slash Marvel slash Lucasfilm in 2023. It was just remarkable. If you had asked Christian a year ago, mm-hmm. will, <laughs> will Disney put out a single movie that makes a profit? He would have said, of course, they'll probably put out 10. Well, it turns out that they put out um, almost zero, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I have it in the chart with people that are watching on uh, the video can see, you know, and these are actually pretty, I think, pretty um, generous in my estimation. Some of them, you know, as far as the production budget is concerned and the marketing budget, a lot of the the production budgets that are reported by the studios are fake and they're fake on the low end, but even granting very generously how much each of these things cost. Um, the movie Wish, which was panned by critics and rejected by audiences, um, lost by this um, by this estimation about $228 million. And again, the purpose of a studio putting out a movie, especially Disney, is to make gobs and gobs of money. Mm. It is not to break even. It is not to make a little bit, a few million dollars. It's to make several hundred million dollars Per movie and one after the other after the other disney's wish lost 228 million little mermaid the 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 you know some call woke um you know every everything has to be race swapped or gender swapped and they did it with little mermaid that lost 165 million dollars ant-man and the wasp lost at least 118 million dollars and you know again emailing uh christian about this just kind of off the top of my head disney marvel and lucasfilm they kept breaking their own record every couple of months for the biggest box office bombs of all time it was it's mind-blowing and that's why i think 2023 is going to be known as the year that um hollywood was finally smacked back into reality and to get back to its job which is not to lecture their audience which is not mm-hmm. to en- enact social change but to actually entertain people and to give people something to to that's positive and, and that they can get around and no matter what your politics are you can enjoy and talk about i mean that was kind of one of the unifying factors of american culture was that it didn't matter what your politics were if you liked godzilla minus 1 you could talk mm-hmm. about it and and how much you liked it for instance and you can't do that anymore but the idea so just just to wrap that up i mean you go through Wish, Little Mermaid, Ant Man, The Marvels lost three hundred twenty-five million dollars. The only two, mo- an Elemental lost at least $100 hundred million. Indiana Jones Five lost three hundred million dollars at least. Haunted Mansion, which people don't even remember, they made a Haunted uh, Mansion remake this year. It was an <laughs> studio- it was in theaters for about four days, and it was dumb. That <laughs> lost two hundred. How do you lose two hundred million dollars on a movie called Haunted Mansion? It's ridiculous. But between the between all of them, Marvel. And um, Lucasfilm and Disney lost 1.3, according to my calculations, $1.3 billion. And even Warner Brothers, um, you know, there's talks now, Warner Brothers might uh, merge with Paramount um, because just to survive because they're both losing so much money. But Warner itself lost $786 million. And the two big studios that have kept Hollywood afloat for like a decade that have made the most profits of any studios anywhere for more than a decade before covid that is combined lost two billion dollars this is fantastic news because this means um you know it's like the old uh the old quote from margaret thatcher about socialism eventually you run out of other people's money that's why socialism failed and eventually these big studios run out of their own money because they keep throwing money into a huge pit of garbage and um, in fact it would probably be better for these studios to have just piled that money like, uh, like the Joker and set it on fire because at least they, at least they would stay warm for a couple hours. <laughs> Instead, this oh, was a complete waste of time. And Disney's stock is half what it was two years ago. Um, this is good to see. This is called the
0: market working, uh, fellas, I think. Well, Christian, I got a couple of questions for yeah. you based on all of you know Jim's statements there. One of them, is this unprecedented? I mean, like not only is it just like these – you know, I, I mentioned to Jim right before we went live, like this isn't just like a box office bomb. These are like box office carpet bombing like throughout <laughs> the year. Like this is is this unprecedented? And, and and not only the losses when it comes to these movies, but also some of the things that uh, like the studios have been doing. Like we know that uh, WB uh, or whatever, D.C., what, whatever is the parent company of all of that stuff. They had a movie done called bat bat girl bat woman or something and they're just like you know what we're just gonna put that in the garbage can (laughs) never mind or like or like you know that willow show right like a a nice reboot legacy character from so long ago we're gonna make a whole show about it put it on our streaming service you know what we're just gonna put that in the garbage can it's just like do studios do this like is this unprecedented
2: It feels new. I'm not an I'm not a historian as far as the economics of Hollywood, but I just think the numbers are so big today that it seems like it couldn't have happened 20, 30 years ago. Maybe if you kind of, you know, uh, you know, change the the scales based on inflation, things like that. But I I think it's sobering to think that a company like Disney could suffer body blow after body blow after body blow, can watch their stocks just sink to the bottom and lose all that money and they're still fine. There's still a, a, a mega studio to be reckoned with. I, I, I find that fascinating on some level. Obviously there's other income streams coming in that are gonna, that's gonna you know, compensate that but you don't just lose all that money and think, oh, well, 2024 is a new year, well, You know, marching on. I, I, I do think what we're looking at here, when we talk about woke, we talk about you know uh, diversity, all these different measures. Now again, diversity on paper, it's nothing wrong with diversity. But we, but we know what's going on. It, it's diversity first and foremost, pushing aside talented people to say, "Okay, we need to fill these quotas." That's where you get into issues. But you know, I think there's such a religious fervor behind the scenes at Disney Inc. that I don't know what will teach them the lesson. I don't think they change their focus. I, I just don't. I don't think they're going to say, "We're guys and gals. We're doing this wrong. We need to kind of focus on X and Y and not Z." I don't think that happens. I think when you have that that ideology, it's so entrenched that you just don't change. And I, to get slightly political, you, you think about what's happening across the country, there's crime soaring. And in, in Chicago, we had a, a fairly recent election. You had the mayor who was in charge of a city just awash with crime, and they voted in a softer on crime politician. That's ideology, that's not common sense. And I think that's what you're seeing at Disney. I don't think there's big changes afoot at Disney. I think it's full steam ahead. I don't think they're going to change.
0: Do you put any stock into some of the recent quotes from Disney CEO Bob Iger, where he was talking about... Yeah, because he had some uh, quotes just for context for people sure. listening. He had some quotes talking about how you know the like we need to get back to the basics. Uh, our our uh, the movie making teams have been too develop uh, too yeah. focused on messaging and certain things like that. That people on the other side of the ideological spectrum were all in a panic that like oh he's bending to the reactionary mm-hmm. on the right that are calling everything woke. You don't put much stock into those those comments.
2: I I don't until I see the changes. And I'll mention one little item in recent weeks, which I think indicates that he's full of it is that they uh, Disney pulled their advertising off of X and they did it because they hate Elon Musk and they hate free speech. They didn't do it for any other reason. There's bad things happening in a lot of social media platforms. It's just the nature of the beast on Instagram, on Facebook, on X, you name it. But that was a, a, a blatantly political move made by Iger and company. And when you see things like that, you're thinking, okay, when he says, I want to quiet the noise in the culture war, I don't believe him. So I want to see proof and things like that show me, I don't think he even, even he believes it. So I think he's saying what he thinks he needs to say, but until things change, I don't, am not buying it.
1: Yeah, You know, one of the topics that we wanted to get to that's in the show notes is the, is and I, I'm, I swear to God, uh, Donnie, I'm not skipping ahead. But because we'll get to it in more detail, but you know, the idea that these people, these people, oh my gosh, I said it, <laughs> these ideological people, um, frankly just don't have the talent and they certainly don't have the wisdom to know how to make good broad appeal entertainment, they simply don't know how to do it. It'd be like putting, uh, you know, it'd be like putting e- any of us in charge of a you know, gourmet kitchen in one of the great uh, Chicago restaurants. We may be able to cook, you know, a a nice, uh, you know, ham and eggs, but, you know, we can't create the kind of food that the audience would expect. And I think these studios, um, I know, Christian, you're a fan and a a friend, I guess, because he's on your latest uh, uh, Hollywood and Total podcast, (laughs) The Critical Drinker, who has over a million subscribers on YouTube. I, I never miss his videos. I highly urge anyone who's interested in any of these topics to subscribe, not just to Christian uh, Toto's stuff on YouTube, but the critical drinker, um, you know, he's, he says a couple of things that that have always stuck with me, mm-hmm. um, because he's in the kind of in the industry himself. Now he's, he's a, he's a fiction author, um, writes thrillers and that sort of thing. And I, actually, a small film is going to be made out of one of his books, which is pretty exciting. I look forward to seeing it. But, you know, he reminded me years ago, listening to his videos that it takes a long time to turn these ships around like if you think that that disney got the message to stop going woke because we're going broke well they may have got the message and if they stop doing that nonsense right now it would take 3 mm. years at least to see the end product of something that wasn't woke and so <laughs> yeah. it's going to keep going on these people are going to keep losing money mm-hmm. and um you know that's why we're we're seeing alternate um we're seeing alternate entertainment independent entertainment you know mm-hmm. a small studio like A24 uh, that makes very interesting movies. Some good, some bad, but they're always pretty interesting and they're a lot more creative than what you get from the major studios. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Godzilla Minus One, which I saw um, the day after Christmas. Uh, really enjoyed it because it was really nothing like mm-hmm. um, anything that you get from Hollywood and American entertainment today. And it actually kind of reminded me of the success of Squid Game, which was on Netflix. That was a huge global phenomenon. What was it, a year or two ago? And it's a, it's a, it was a, a series, a show, um, spoken entirely in Korean and you had to read the subtitles, but it captivated, mm-hmm. um, many Americans across the country. So I think what you're seeing is that you're, you're going to see a Hollywood that is incapable of a quick turnaround. Um, it's a huge ship, but it take, it's going to take a while. And that void is going to be filled with something it's filled with people watching YouTube streams, yeah. um, content creators on, on independent, uh, media outlets and, and more foreign films are going to be more mainstream, like uh, like Godzilla Minus One has been this year? Uh, a couple of quick thoughts.
2: One is, I think YouTube, I mean, it's super anecdotal because it's just me. But when I go to bed at night, often I don't watch Netflix or, you know, Amazon Prime. I watch YouTube. I'll watch yeah. The Critical Drinker. I'll watch my favorite cooking channel show. I mean, it, it has so much content. It's such a variety. It's so interesting. It's often very well produced. And that's a real threat to I think Hollywood Inc. Uh, also, you know one of the things I'd love to see Disney do if they're if they're smart is go hire Paul King. And if you don't know who Paul King is, he directed two of the most charming films I've seen in the last decade, the Paddington movies. They are adorable. They're sweet. Mm they're funny. It's just, it's just heartwarming. And he also just directed Wonka, which has got legs at the box office. I was deeply cynical the whole project. Oh, we need a prequel to the Wonka movies. You can't just recast Gene Wilder. It's impossible. Yes, it is impossible, but the movie is sweet. It's positive. It's uplifting. It's message-free in the best of ways. And it's not pushing an agenda. It's saying, believe in yourself, try harder, reach for your dreams. No one disagrees with those things, I don't think. So, you know, I think, I think that Disney, you're right, it'll take a while to turn the ship around if they really want to do that. But I think you can see some minor signs that they're interested in doing just that, hiring a Paul King or or just, you know, other messaging. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, things can be done or, you know, I don't know the director's name of Godzilla Minus One. Boy, if I'm Hollywood Inc., I'd be signing that guy to a contract like that. That is a wonderful film. My wife liked Godzilla Minus One. She's never seen a Godzilla movie. She's never watched Star Wars. She doesn't like genre stuff, doesn't like science fiction. And she loved it because it was a good story. We need that again. That's why it's resonating with people. You can just, like you said, Squid Game, Top Gun Maverick, Godzilla Minus One. We're still hungry for great stories. We're just not getting enough.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, uh, just real quick on the Wonka thing, because I do know somebody that thinks that the Johnny Depp Wonka movie was better than the original. But that's just one person. But uh, <laughs> Andy, that's you know me. who I'm talking about. You just have to think about it. Um, so there, there's a couple of things in, in both uh, your and Jim's latest comments that I want mm-hmm. to I want to kind of pick your brain on, too, yeah. which is uh, the idea of the independent media and just kind of the landscape that uh, that it, that the whole media production industry is a part of, right? Cause, and I've mentioned this in conversations before with people that, you know, you go back 50 plus years and there's a handful of channels and everyone's watching the same sort of stuff. And, you know, the movies that are out there, they're all trying to appeal to the most broad um, market possible right mm-hmm. you want everyone to watch your stuff so you're going to make it appeal to everybody but now especially you know increasing even more drastically than ever in the past couple of years you've got this really fractured uh way of getting content out there there's a, a million tv channels There, uh, when it comes to YouTube, there's a billion YouTube channels, (laughs) there's 50 different streaming channels. You know, all of these things, there's, you know, they they probably represent tiny slivers of the general pie, but there's so many tiny slivers (laughs) that the content that I see being put out there isn't necessarily wanting to appeal to all general audiences. You know, like, was Batgirl trying to get Jim in the movie seats? Probably not. It's probably trying to appeal to, you know, some 15 to 29-year-old female demographic or something like that. And I just wonder, like, if that's the way that they want to go, well, A... Is that the way that they want to go? Where they're making content specifically targeting certain demographics? And B, if that is the way that they want to go, then you gotta ditch this idea of putting a two hundred million dollar budget behind some of these projects. If Batgirl costs them more than fifty million dollars, they're out of their minds. Uh, but your yeah. thoughts on that?
2: Well, I mean, I think they want it both ways. They want to get the mainstream mass audience because that gives you the most bang for your buck. Literally, you get more money, and that's where the blockbusters come in. You know, they they didn't make the Flash to be a, a niche product. They wanted it to be a huge product, and of course, it it failed. Uh, But also, you'll see things like The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Now, they aggressively alienate half the country, but they get enough of the liberal half of the country to be successful, and they're okay with that. So there's two different platforms here. I just think in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they're just leaving wads of money on the table. Um, You know, why should Saturday Night Live be a niche product? It's got a beloved legacy. It's got um, the potential to hit both the left and the right. It did so for years, and now it's not. They have driven away half their customer base. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Um, maybe the Late Show, it makes more sense. They want to be a, an ideological platform. Go for it, I guess. I don't think that makes as much sense as well either. But you know, you just can't do it both ways. So If you're going to throw $300 million into a project and you make it woke, then you're chasing away a lot of people. So they don't seem to realize that. You know, the, the Dial of Destiny, which was I thought was watchable, it was mediocre, but the uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character was alienating. She was Repellent. annoying. It's a Repellent. Word I used okay. Yeah. But also she was dressing down our, our iconic Indiana Jones. There's one sequence in the movie where basically she's rescuing him and he's like, you know, oh, come, come get me, Phoebe. I mean... Is that what you want to go see an Indiana Jones movie for? I don't think so. I mean, you could always put out any story you want, but it just—I feel like you're messing with the the DNA of these franchises when you do that. So, but that's what they want to do. Yeah, it's. it's
0: Go ahead, it's, it's just this
1: it's, it's it's if you add wokeness and I think really a lack of just basic talent in many of these writers rooms mm-hmm. with this, you know, uh, I went to Oberlin and so I, I need to deconstruct reality and deconstruct. So basically we got a deconstructed Indiana Jones, who was a sh- who was a pathetic shell of his former self. Actually, actually displayed none really of the personality traits that made America fall in love with that character, mm. um, and gave all of those good traits unearned to a repellent character um, in the character played by Phoebe Waller Bridge. I don't even remember the name of the character's name, because all I remember is that it's uh, the actress's name is Phoebe Waller Bridge, and it was such a big deal. And so this is, um, you know, we can get into your best and worst of the of 2023, um, and maybe we can get more into. The fact that if you just put the ideology aside mm-hmm. um that modern hollywood does not have they're not these studios are not staffed with people who actually have talent the, i i guarantee you the um jessica Gao and her writer's room for she hulk they thought they did something great they loved she hulk but nobody else did <laughs> it was terrible i i I started hate watching it. I watched the first couple of episodes because Um, your friend, Chris Gore um, actually gave it good reviews for the first few episodes. So I gave it a shot. I think I made it through three episodes and then I just started hate watching it. And I enjoyed it just because it was so bad. I I actually did the exact same thing. Good
2: stuff. (laughs) I really watched. I hate watch that show. And I almost never do it. I was so curious about how bad it was that it kept me watching the shows. I think, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? Is, Is this, I mean, is this an actual effort? And I couldn't believe it. And then, toward the end of season one, I thought it got maybe microscopically better. But uh, yeah, it, it was absolutely terrible. But you know, it is what I cover a lot at my site is is sort of how dumb Hollywood can be. And to give an example: the Dial of Destiny trailer. There were multiple trailers before it came out. One of them had a line from Phoebe about capitalism. Yeah. Like I stole it from you. You stole it from me. And she said, that's called capitalism. And I'm thinking, OK, you can put that in a movie. That's perfectly fine. No big deal. But if you're trying to attract a mass audience and you know that half of America is going to recoil at that line and think, oh, there's Hollywood being Hollywood again and being uber liberal. Why would you put that in the trailer? Why would you yeah. highlight that? It's just plain dumb. It's like Rachel Zegler, who's making Snow White, saying oh to the gosh. press, oh, have you seen Snow White, the original movie? It stinks. <laughs> It's old, (laughs) we're not doing anything like that. I mean, what was she thinking and why wasn't she hauled into Disney Inc. and say, Rachel, sweetheart, darling, we love you. We're loving the the dailies on the movie, but can you tone down the aggressive antics about our beloved film that we're trying to replicate? Not a good strategy, but they won't do that.
1: Why won't they do that, Christian? That's really the question, why won't they do it? I think it's because they agree with her and there isn't anybody with the talent or the wisdom to know mm-hmm. how to do a proper gotta be, campaign for an iconic movie remake like Snow White.
0: There's got to be a terrible echo chamber that they're all stuck yes. in. Because, like, you know, that 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 uh, Phoebe Waller bridge, right? That that line that you mentioned, the capitalism thing in the trailer, it was pretty bad in the trailer. When you watch it in the context of the movie, I don't remember it being that egregious. And there was another thing in that She-Hulk. Um, somebody told me about this. I didn't actually watch that. But there was, like, a, in a trailer, it shows her, like throw in a rock further than the Hulk does or something, but it's not as bad in the actual show because then mm. he one ups her in the show. So it's like the show, the trailers and the marketing and the Zegler doing these press tours, they're like making it out to be worse than it actually the final product is. And it has to be a result of them thinking that this is a good thing because they're stuck in some crazy echo chamber, some Hollywood it, it, echo
2: chamber. It, I mean, you call it an echo chamber. That's correct. It's a bubble, whatever you want to label it they're just they don't have inside outside voices saying hey wait a minute no one's raising their hand in the meeting saying you know that line isn't great and it could chase some people away or it just doesn't it doesn't help our cause but i've been covering this for years where the actors go out in the the bully pulpit and they talk to kimmel and they talk to you know uh, colbert and they'll say things that are divisive and political and, and and you know things that they can anger elements of the movie going public Dude, why are you on Colbert's couch? You're there to promote your movie. You want more people to see it. And by saying that, you're defeating your own purpose. I mean, why did did you comb your hair and put on your best suit and travel to New York City and sit there while Stephen Colbert tells dumb jokes? Because you want to promote your movie. That's the gig. So why would you sabotage it? You know, every time Robert De Niro goes out, one of our greatest actors, no problem. And he says, I hate Trump. I hate blah, 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 blah. That never helps his movie. I, I don't think it helps his movie. I think if you love De Niro as an actor, you may go see his movies. That's perfectly fine. Many people may agree with him. I don't think they're going to get more people to the theater because he bashed Trump for the thousand time. I just, it doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, and and he feel- can say,
2: listen, there's free speech. He can say whatever he wants. He's not going to get course. in trouble. It just doesn't make sense if you're a marketing person or you're working on behalf of the marketing team to do that. But they keep doing it.
0: Yeah, there's there's a concept that I've wanted to explore with all of this sort of stuff. Um I haven't really been able to get too much too deep into it other than just kind of speculation. But like I've got to think that there's some incentive structure that's pushing them to do this. Like could they really could they really be this dense uh you know to think that some of this stuff that they're saying and doing isn't like pushing people away? Like I feel like it has to have some roots into like the whole esg sort of system where they're getting some sort of points on the back end when it comes to like making sure that you push forward this messaging and make sure that you have dylan mulvaney pushing your you know oh. uh, alcoholic beverage to college students Come like on, you know that's gonna lose money but maybe it's gonna <sighs> increase their esg score on the back end i'm well, not entirely sure pure speculation but i feel like there's got to be something like that
2: Part of the reason they do what they do, it's a signal to their peers. It's saying, hey, I'm like you. I believe the same things you believe. I'm spreading the good word. Hire me next time. And that's not my thought. That's actually Nick Searcy, who is that rare, bare-knuckled conservative in Hollywood, a very talented actor. I've met him, and he's a nice – well, he's nice to me. He's 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 uh, two-fisted on, on social media, of course. But he said that's basically them jockeying for position, saying – hire me for my next gig because I think like you do it's it's messaging to each other and I think the bottom line if you're a De Niro you're a legend you're an Oscar winner you know that tomorrow your phone will keep on ringing with new gigs new possibilities so you really don't care if your next movie or your current movie does well at the box office there's no skin in it for you he just knows he's going to be employed for in perpetuity and he should because he's a great actor but I don't think they care. I don't think they have a vested interest in this movie succeeding so much so that they're going to put aside their preferences and their political peccadillos and say, I'm just going to talk about the movie. Uh, De Niro gave a speech at an award show recently and Apple, the, the, the studio behind the Killers of the Flower Moon said, can you tone down the anti-Trump stuff? We want to focus on the movie. And if you're Apple, of course, that's what you want to focus on. And De Niro said, bleep you, I'm talking about Trump. And so he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah. Trump broke a lot of people's brains, you know,
1: normal regular people, but especially Hollywood and our media um, completely broke them down. Um, They're still having they still can't get over it. Trump derangement syndrome is a real (laughs) is a real medical condition. Yeah. And it seems to be uh, uh, contagious and even more uh, it it digs in there even better than COVID, it seems. But um, just a quick
2: aside, uh, mm -hmm. Sage Steele is a, uh, a sports pundit. And I heard recently that she was told by ESPN not to be critical of Leah Thomas, the trans swimmer who caused all those headlines recently. And I'm thinking, okay, so ESPN, this big major company is willing to say to one of its employees, shut up. We don't want that opinion out there. And yet for the vast majority of progressive opinions, there's no higher up saying, don't do that. Don't say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And again, it's it's the ideological bubble. I mean, Um, and it's so they, they don't know that their stuff stinks. I mean, they really, you you have to believe that so many, including Bob Iger would look at some of these productions and think, Oh, this isn't going to be a surefire smash hit. Um, certainly the writers think so. And so I I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, with you, Christian, about my thesis that, that there's a, a talent drain that's been happening in Hollywood, but especially after one, after one. Trump broke people's brains Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, the Me Too movement um, and Time's Up and all of that. That got to be honest, got a little bit out of hand, if not more than a little bit out of hand and and Mm -hmm. destroyed careers. One of them being John Lasseter, the um, genius of Pixar, Mm -hmm. who um, basically made the Disney Corporation, I don't know, 20 billion Mm dollars over his career at that at that studio. And he got um, he got shit canned because he was a little bit too huggy with some people that made them uncomfortable. Now, fine, uh, but now Lasseter has left Disney. So that's a very, very important creative mind that is no longer in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, Reportedly, a lot of the other people that used to work with him left as well. Um, Plus you have, as people in the comments here are mentioning, you have your DEI and ESG mandates, Mm -hmm. which means you you can't hire somebody with experience to take over an executive role or a, a executive creative role at a studio, if they happen to be middle aged and white and male, which, you know, that person may have a lot of experience, but they're not going to be hired for that job. Instead, it must be filled by somebody younger, somebody diverse, and yeah. certainly after the Me Too Times Up movement, somebody who's female. Now, you may, it may turn out that you hire good people by meeting those criteria as well, but. There's also a good chance that you will not hire somebody with talent. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, um, we're going to get to some of your recommendations um, from this year and maybe coming up for next year. But I I watched because it looked the trailer looked intriguing, a show on Hulu called A Murder at the End of the World. Mm -hmm. And it was it was kind of sold as some kind of like millennial or Gen Z, um, uh, you know, murder mystery, kind of like murder on the Orient Express. But, you know, with a Gen Z perspective and technology and all this stuff. It was probably the worst show. I think it was eight episodes. The worst show I, I've ever seen. It was so bad. Talk about hate watching. Um, I would watch it and just wait for the cliches. I predicted about seven plot points, <laughs> and I couldn't believe how cliched and terrible the characters were. Both the main characters were so unlikable, and they were made intentionally ugly. Intent, and you know, I mean, because these actors obviously are good-looking people, they made them intentionally ugly. And you you see it you know that they're doing hmm. this because they're trying to push the message and the and the uh, the, the social change that beauty um, is is some kind of objective thing that was created by the patriarchy and doesn't matter you know we can have a a, a protagonist who is completely unlikable and also hard to look at at the same time and purposely made so uh, and so I thought that show uh, nobody should watch it it's terrible but hmm. I just thought I, I watched it all the way through because I thought it was going to and it did kind of encapsulate modern Hollywood. You have people who don't have any talent. They can't write mm. um, a, a good story with story beats. They certainly can't write a mystery. I mm. figured the whole thing out in about twen, you know, 10 minutes into the first episode. <laughs> it was it was absurd. But I really think that we are going to have to count on directors like the Godzilla Minus One director. We're going to have to count on shows like um, from Korea and, and movies from Korea. Parasite, of course, was a great film. Uh, Squid Game was a, was a very entertaining series. We're going to have to count on this stuff because other countries don't destroy their studios and fill them with talentless hacks. They actually have people who are there on merit. Um, there's not a lot of diversity, I don't think, in the Japanese uh, film industry. <laughs> and they don't, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's all Japanese people. Uh, and they're also the talented ones rise to the top and, and produce
2: things that everybody will enjoy. You know, when you think about DEI and all these different initiatives for more diversity and you think, well, how does that hurt Disney? I mean, they're employing animators and people who have specialties in storytelling. I get two words for you. Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay is the head of Harvard. She is clearly a hack. She is a plagiarist. She has no business being anywhere near at the tippy top of the Ivy Leagues. And yet there she is. Don't you think that's happening in Disney and other movie studios as well? I guarantee it's happening there. And by the way, if you want more diversity, then Disney should throw a whole bunch of money at schools or maybe uh, look at the inner city uh, school system and say, here we have this new program. It's for emerging filmmakers. And then people of color can join it. And then the people who have talent can rise up, join the Hollywood system. And all of a sudden we've got these great new voices who might happen to be black or Latino or anything. That would be great. That would be a great way to address diversity issues. Give people who haven't given gotten a chance, the chance, the talent, the skill, the education, and see if they rise to the top. And then pluck them out of that school and say, that person's going to direct the next Marvel movie. And he or she is going to kill it because they've been trained and they know what they're doing and they've got vision and they've got talent. That would be wonderful. But instead, you're having this other system where it's just checking the boxes, checking the boxes. And the results, well, you see movies like Wish and it's not good
0: yeah i wonder if even that is like Mm. i mean that sounds better than probably what's going on but like it seems like even that might still Mm. like not give us the results that we're hoping for i I don't know because like there's there's a handful of directors um i'm gonna blank on all of their names but that they did like one or two like pretty big movies or, or good movies uh um successful movies and then they were taken and thrown behind the helm of some large thing like a Star Wars product and then they just mm-hmm. got like eaten by the machine I think like Ryan uh, Johnson did like two movies Looper and like Gold or something like that before he was thrown behind mm-hmm. Last yeah. Jedi and he was just eaten by the machine and then there was the one guy that ended up doing Fantastic Four, Josh Trank, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. He did like one or two movies, small scale, low budget things. And then he was eaten by the machine and spit out the other mm-hmm. side. you know. And then there was another one that did. Uh, he was the first director on Rogue One before they switched it to the other guy. Uh-huh. but again he did like one movie i think he did like godzilla or something like that and then he got eaten by the machine so i think like the studio machine whether you know you it's like the the room of bureaucrats that are deciding on how to actually fine-tune this stuff to appeal to the most people or whatever that kind of eats away at the director's vision or anything like that i feel like that in itself is something that will just like destroy kind of the the, the creativity that, like you know, Jim is seeking in kind of the younger generation.
2: I don't disagree with that, but I would mention a couple of uh, different examples where it worked out well. Was the Russo brothers? They had done you, me, and Dupree, and I think they directed some Community episodes. And they were handed the keys to the uh, Captain America. Might have been not was Civil War or Winter Soldier. And then they made a whole bunch of really good mcu movies and i believe it's i think his name is john cooper he did a movie called cop car with kevin bacon and now he's been directing the spider-man films which has been mostly very good so it can work out right i don't mind them using that as like a almost like in baseball the minor leagues plucking the guy up and saying mm-hmm. okay you got your chance to the shine kid but yeah. like you said sometimes they do get eaten up by the machine and yeah, who- and spat out like uh chloe Zhao. uh if i'm pronouncing mm-hmm. her name correctly Won the Oscar for uh, Nomadland, and then she did The Eternals, which no one liked. <laughs> right. so, and, who, but she's who, a good director.
0: Who so. are the two brothers that did the Lego movie? Uh, oh. I the other name. Lloyd or... Hmm. Yeah, I don't Chris know. Miller.
2: It's, I'm, I'm bouncing around it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what are we talking about
0: the the two guys that did the Lego movie, huge successful movie. And then again, they got eaten by the Lucasfilm machine when they tried to do solo. And what right. have they done since? I'm not entirely sure, but uh, so it just seems like the industry itself has a way of just like crushing the spirit of some of these people. Um, Phil Lord um, and
1: Christopher Miller.
0: Uh, Lord and Miller. That's it. That's right. um, the writer strike stuff, because I, I kind of want to look forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we can we can do your best and worst of the year uh, sure. towards the end of the episode. But looking forward, you know, we talked about the, the big ships that it takes a while for these things to turn around. I mean, Jim has talked about some of these scripts that were written during the height of the Trump era that are still making their way through mm-hmm. the system that still have all that lingering, you know, Trump derangement syndrome mm-hmm. stuff built into the foundations of it. Um, But I'm I'm curious, you know, we also talked about whether or not these studios are learning anything, uh, big budgets, all of that sort of stuff. But I want to look forward to to the kind of next year, um, because this year, I don't know, maybe 2023 will be looked as the year of the box office bomb, and maybe Mm -hmm. everything will get better afterwards. But it seems like those corrections, even if they take a while to correct themselves or be corrected. It might take even longer, considering that we had several months of writers and actors strikes that mm-hmm. prolonged everything. Everything got pushed out and delayed and whatever. They're trying to fill the fill a content gap now. Mm-hmm. So they're going to postpone certain things. So do you have any insight or thoughts on kind of the the strikes that were going on, whether or not that they were warranted or, or how they kind of, uh, you know, came to a, a, a An agreement, anything like that?
2: Well, it seems like 2024 is going to struggle because there's not going to be as much product coming our way. So that's going to have an impact on the box office. Uh, Whether it was warranted or not, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like some of the the writers' uh, requests that were approved of, I don't agree with. I mean, they wanted more people in the writer's room. That seems like an arbitrary checklist. I don't like that. You know, some writer's room can have a whole bunch of people. Some could have just one person. And he or she could be, you know, doing a great job. So I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I think it put more economic pressure on Hollywood, and I think you're seeing more belt tightening. Not just Disney, you know, other streamers are are cutting shows before they even get to the public. I, I mean, I just watched uh, a new Netflix special with Ricky Gervais, and it crushes the woke, uh, the whole woke ideology. It says things that are uh, inappropriate. And Netflix is standing by him and Netflix will put out a new Dave Chappelle special in a couple of days as well. So I think Netflix is saying, hey, in the past, we would have canceled this. We would have censored this. We would have not supported this. We would apologize for it. But we need those eyeballs. We need those views. So we're going to just come on, Ricky. Come on, Dave. We want you to be there. So I, I think you're seeing more of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But
0: uh, yeah, that I,
2: fallout may take a while to really get the full impact.
0: Yeah, that's another benefit of kind of that uh, really fractured kind of media landscape is that You know if there's three companies it's very easy for them to all be in agreement with what will be acceptable and what will be allowed content on their you know uh, media outlets but if there's like a million of them out there you know and you have netflix that are standing behind you know content creators like dave chappelle or even a more extreme example where it's like the daily wire has like yeah you know what maybe we're going to start making movies and and produce movies and shows and all of that it's just like well no one's going to tell them what they can and can't put on their streaming service so you know that's a good thing. And by Um, the
2: way, if you're Netflix, you could say, I can embrace a Ricky Gervais and realize that I'm going to get a lot of eyeballs, maybe some negative attention, but mostly it'll work out at an economic point of view. Or I could, if I'm Ricky Gervais, I can say, well, Netflix turned me down. I'm going to go to RickyGervais.com, assuming he has that uh, URL, and I'm going to sell it myself. And I'm going to make so much money we're seeing that again and again and again. A lot of these comedians are going through YouTube or Patreon. Uh, Louis C.K. after he was canceled for doing just gross, gross things in front of women. I, I just I, When you read the details, it's just it's as nasty as possible. But he said, you know what? If the fans forgive me, I'm going to reach out to them directly. And he's had a very successful career now, completely outside of Hollywood. He sold out Madison Square Garden earlier this year. That's amazing. And you could hate what he did. I certainly hate what he did. But does he deserve to never work again? I don't think so. And if you're able to forgive him and think he's funny, then you'll go see him. So I think these big platforms like, well, I could, you know, play with the woke mindset and cancel these people or I could benefit from it. And I think Netflix yeah. has been very shrewd where they've got some woke programming here and then they've got Dave Chappelle there. I'm OK with that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I want to one last time hit the point uh, that's in my show notes and it's uh, you have mentioned Rick at your base. He's Generation X. You and I are Gen Xers. Uh, Donnie is probably, I would call him an early millennial. I could make him honorary Gen X if he would accept it. That's fine with me.
0: No way. Um, Uh, I'm solid with millennials.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, but, you know, our generation, Christian, we had directors and creators like Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino, Spike Lee, John Favreau. Um, They created, I mean, uh, you could credit you should probably already give Quentin Tarantino a lifetime achievement award for what he did for and, and to Hollywood with yeah, his oh, unique yeah. vision as a, as a director um, you know, Favreau created the um, the entire Marvel cinematic universe with mm-hmm. his brilliant casting and handling of Robert Downey Jr. In a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. So billions of dollars were made by Disney because John Favreau, um, it was a good filmmaker before he was given the keys to that franchise. Where are the Gen Z and you know and early millennials, where are these creatives? They should be, where is the Gen Z Quentin Tarantino? Where's the Gen Z Kevin Smith? They don't, I don't see them Christian and you look at this obviously more closely than I do, yeah. but it makes me think we may be in for a very long uh, generational uh, creative mm. gap in Hollywood because these young people are not taught and they don't have, they just don't have the talent as far as i can see because i'm not seeing anything like we got to experience when we
2: were in our 20s with our contemporaries in hollywood it's a great question and it made me really think and i've been since since you, you emailed back and forth about it i'm trying to think of some names and the few that come to mind often are in the horror genre ari aster is young ish i'm not sure his exact age uh, I think Robert Eggers. I think he's young-ish, but he could be in his forties too. The people yeah. I'm mentioning, uh, Damien Leone, who <laughs> he's behind the Terrifier franchise, and it's so wildly disgusting, and I love it, and I'm embarrassed to say so, but there it is. But I think he does a lot with a little when it comes to his budget, so I I could see him doing different stories, different horror movies in the next few years that could be exciting. But you're right, I'm trying to think of like 20-somethings who are real visionaries. I, I, or even early thirty-somethings. I'm not I'm not getting names. Uh, I think that the Safdie brothers, who have worked with Adam Sandler, they seem youngish, and just compared to the Coppolas and all the, the sort of the old guard. But yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. There should be these young, vibrant forces who are full of energy and moxie, who are going to you know challenge the status quo and make exciting movies. And even when they swing and miss, you think, oh gosh. They're onto something, I, you know. Right. The next movie will be their next step, and I, you know there there may be examples, and maybe I'm drawing a blank here, but I I don't think there are too many obvious examples in this regard. Right. So I, I'd say it's a great point. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm looking at an IMDb list right now of uh, popular millennial directors, and literally the only name that I recognize is Ryan Kugler. and even he is born in 1986. So yeah, um, he's a talented filmmaker for sure. I'm looking for, like, you know, the Kevin Smith, who, like, by the mm-hmm. time he was 30, had, like, three cult classics under his belt. Mm-hmm. So That's
1: yeah. what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Robert Eggers is 40
2: years old, so I don't know what. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> I'm just, I'm scrambling. I'm just, I'm trying to think, but uh, it's yeah. hard. And, you know, I think that it's rare for someone in their early 20s to be so fully formed as an artist. And we've seen that time and time again. Uh, authors, filmmakers, they they just had it at that young age. But I I often think that it takes a little maturity to be able to tell stories and have the psychological complexity that films need. Um, But there are exceptions where people just get it very young. They're a
0: phenom. Right. Right. Uh, So we're already at the hour mark, but I do want to uh, kind of go through some of the best and worst of the previous year, according to you. Let's, uh, let's start with the bad end first. What were, what were uh, just some notable stinkers when it comes to the (laughs) box office? Uh, That's my mind.
2: You people, which is a Im- feature that image there, boy, I just had this love for Eddie Murphy. I grew up with him. I just think he's endlessly talented. I think that for the last, gosh, maybe 20 years, we haven't really tapped that talent. And that's partially his fault. He's not picking the right projects, but you people is a, an interracial romance comedy. So many false notes, so many cringe worthy moments, so many uh, awkward exchanges and through it all, Eddie Murphy does shine through a time or two, but not enough to recommend it. It's a very bad movie. I also hated Saltburn. I know it's getting all this award season buzz. It's another I hate the rich movie, which I'm okay with. I hate some rich people too. And I thought that last year's movie, The Menu, which had a very similar theme, you know, hate the rich was really good. If you haven't seen that, definitely check that out. But Saltburn, the psychological portraits don't make any sense. Uh, There's a lot of shock moments that are just shocking, but who cares? They're not interesting. And it just gets worse as it goes along. And then finally, the blackening, which annoyed me because the whole gimmick behind the blackening, which was a horror comedy hybrid, was why do the black people always die first in horror movies? But they don't. And there was a That's website that tracked. Yeah, it's, it's a fake news concept. And again, you can make that your marketing shtick and then make a good movie. It was awful. I took my oh. son to see it. He loves horror movies. And he we just sat
0: stone-faced. Well, that that's a that's like a like a like a stereotype, like a meme or whatever from like 20 plus years ago. Like they made jokes about that, like in the in the first Scream movie. Like that's not something that like pertains to modern day, I don't think. And also,
2: you know, I think the movies that I grew up on the 70s and 80s, those horror movies. There was so little diversity, and Hollywood was doing such a bad job of giving all people a chance. They were just a bunch of white people, honestly. So, I mean, <sighs> even, even from that perspective, from a woke perspective, it doesn't make any sense. But the movie itself was just flat out bad,
0: awful. Mm. Well, and sure and so I wanted to you know have you talk about the bad movies so that we could end on a good note because yes, surely it. there is some good stuff out there. We've talked about all of these movies, box office bombs, the mm-hmm. state of Hollywood itself, and all of that stuff. It seems like all oh, just terrible news, mm-hmm. but there's gotta be some gems in that uh, in that coal mine there. What what do we got for the good movies yeah, of 2023? Gems is
2: maybe overstating it, but these are some good films. I, the holdovers, <laughs> Paul Giamatti. A wonderful bittersweet comedy drama. And I believe it's available either today or tomorrow on um Peacock. So if you didn't, if you missed it in theaters, you missed it on video on demand, I believe it's gonna be available on Peacock, which is a, a solid streaming service. So you could check that out there very soon. I really enjoyed Godzilla Minus One. It just was a throwback film. It actually reminded me of Top Gun Maverick in weird ways. I wrote about that at Hollywood and Toto, by the way. If you want to check out some of the comparisons, it's interesting. Really enjoyed Air, which is a shocking ode to capitalism and the American dream from Hollywood, from Ben Affleck, Mr. Liberal. So good for them. It's a very charming movie. Well told. Great cast. Like that one. And this one is a bit of a sleeper, I think. It's called Reopening, and it's a Blaze Media production. I don't think mm. they made it. I think they bought it, and they, distrib- they released it. It's like Waiting for Guffman, which was that theatrical comedy with uh, that old troupe with uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, but this time it's a it's a less than talented troupe trying to put on a show during COVID, and it's all about the restrictions they had to endure and follow, and it's a very smart satire of how crazy we all were. At the same time, it's sweet, it's lovable, and it's funny. I laughed a lot, so reopening. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Blaze Media. Great.
0: Jim, you have had a run in like 45 seconds. Any last comments or questions for our guest here?
1: No, definitely go to hollywoodintoto.com. That way you can get all of Christian's great recommendations. And, uh, Christian, old buddy, it's good to have you on the pod again. Yeah, I'll see, y- I'll
2: see you all next year.
0: Yeah, exactly right. All right, uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Please. Uh, If you're an audio-only listener, leave a review for us on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're catching the show on a Friday or later, if you're an audio-only listener, you can catch the show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time where we are streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and X. And, uh, you know, if you could do a couple of things that will help out the show by just hitting that like button, commenting, uh, subscribing if you haven't already, sharing this content, all things that won't cost you more than a, just a couple of seconds, but helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you'd like, you could follow us on Twitter or X at In the tank Pod. And if you have any comments or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. And Christian Toto, once again, where where can people go to see your work? Well, just go to
2: hollywoodintoto.com and the Hollywood Toto podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter
0: at hollywoodintoto. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.
2: He's a lion dog-faced pony soldier.